So welcome to our next class. We're going to try in this lesson here cover the closing part to this glorious doxology, this song of praise from verses 10 through 14. And then the next class will carry on through verses 17 to 23 to complete chapter 1 today, hopefully. Hopefully I won't talk too long this time. So it was um, the... Just a, a, just a bit of a... Not if you've got any questions at all when we're speaking, just write them down as a wee side note, right? You know, what we're talking about, just write down any questions and at the end, we'll just pile up the questions and we'll try and answer some. I've been given a question or two or I'll highlight some of the questions that we're given after class last week, during the class, um, this kind of stuff. So... It's a, it's a really fantastic topic, the Word of God, and this particular book is just so glorious, and I want us just to really grasp it in its entirety. So, if we look back uh, at verse nine, we were talking about the mystery of God's of the will of God, the mystery this that was revealed to us as saints, and we come to verse ten. So, I'm going to read from verses ten through fourteen, and it says. So he's talking about the mystery as well, and he says, this mystery of God's will is revealed to us, and it says, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in earth. For in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So as we begin our class this week, Apostle Paul in this beautiful doxology brings a very interesting thought to us in verses 10. He says to us that it was as, the mystery God revealed to us as and it was as a plan for the fullness of time that would unite all things in heaven and things on earth. Now we spoke previously that about our adoption, our election by God from before the foundations of the earth, and how now this glorious outpouring of grace that God has given us. He didn't just give us, he says he lavished it upon us. It was excessive grace, overwhelming grace. And it's been revealed to us, but hidden from those who do not believe. Why did they not believe? Because as we saw through the scriptures, that God has not revealed it to them. He's not opened their ears. They've not had their hearts open. They cannot hear the things of God or see the things of God. So there's two things to note here in this verse. Number one, this plan is for the fullness of all things. And we'll explain that in a minute, what that means. Number two, so the number one, this plan's for the fullness of all things. And number two, this plan will unite all things in heaven and here on earth. So what in fact does it mean? Well, one of the most accurate translations of the Bible, according to the original text, is the New American Standard Version of the Bible. Don't know if I've got any NASB readers in here. Uh, I, 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 I was once given many, many years ago, in fact, it was Bill O'Neill, it was a, man, a, a 
preacher called Sam Patterson gave me a, a Bible many, many, many decades ago, brown old beat up leather NASB, and I began to read it, and I was like, my gosh, this is worse than the King James, which is these and its those, I couldn't quite read it, you know, but it was, uh, and in that day, it was King James only-ism, you only read the King James, you know, and uh, so it was, uh, yeah, but it's one of the most accurate according to the text, the Greek text, the King J- the, the NASB, and, I know, there you go, I'm talking, maybe I am, uh, <laughs> It can help us elaborate further with its translation of this verse as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things. It says, this is what it says in the NASB. It says, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things in the earth in him. God's plan for us before the foundation of the world was completely sovereign. It was a sovereign act. There were no committees set up to discuss it. There was no boardroom. There was no votes as if it were an election to choose who goes in by people or the angels. God's plan of salvation was made with a view to the coming together of all things at the fullness of time. He was not, his plan wasn't a temporary plan. It wasn't a temporary quick fix or anything. It was not for a day, a week or a month or a year. It was a plan set in motion before he even formed the earth, framed it. And now his son Jesus has been given the role of chief administrator of his plan. Christ became, you could say, the manager eh, to who would act in his father's plan. The words around this plan being administered in the Greek means of, is the meaning of that of one who would be in charge of a household and managing its duties. We indeed have now the household of God, the saints of God. The church itself is known as the household of God. With Christ being its head, its chief administrator. Now under him, we have ministers who would be called to serve as stewards under Christ's direction over the church. 1 Corinthians 4, 1-2 says this. This is how one should regard us. He's talking about ministers, preachers, and him as an apostleship. He says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. That was a requirement to be a leader of the house of God. 1 Corinthians 9, 16 to 18 says this, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. You know, that's an interesting thought when we see people try to pay and get you to buy the gospel. You know, send us this money and we'll give you this. I'll give you it free. It's okay. I said to my sister, there's one of my favourite authors, W. Best, and... Um, I was reading this book and I wanted and I had it on my Amazon to wish list you know when he's wish list and, the, and, and all, I wanted all of his kind of books to do. they're not big thick books but they're just really meaty books 
And as I piled it all into my Amazon wish list, you know, it was sitting there and stuff. It was like 200 odd pounds worth of books. Now I've got a lot of books, haven't I? Yeah. And uh, so it was uh, 200 pounds and I was like, oh my goodness. And I just happened to click on a link of someone giving a review on one of these books. And it took me to this missionary organisation for when he had died back uh, many years ago when he passed away. This missionary organisation that bought the rights to all these books and they now were giving them all for free. Downloads. All, the, all of his books, the entire collection. So I was like, download, 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 download. You know, God will make a way where there's no way for people, but God will always make a way for his gospel to be preached free of charge. It's not exclusive. It's free of charge to preach the gospel. Titus 1, 5 to 9, we can see within that who is appointed to be elders or we should we say in that the administrators or stewards of the house of God. Titus 1, 5 to 9 says this, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, a husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery for insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable a lover of good, self-controlled. I love that word, hospitable. Makes you spit, doesn't it? A lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. And here's a key. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as it's taught so that he may be able to what? Give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And 1 Peter 4, 9-10 says this, it says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And that beautiful thought that the grace of God is not just a singular thing, but it's, it's a variety of grace. It's varied. It's so different. It means so much to different people. It means different things to all of us. I'm sure if I asked you all to write down the definition of what grace means to you, it would all be different because God has touched you in so many ways with his grace. So this verse in Ephesians 1.10, to administer this plan, is telling us that the government of all things concerning God's people and for the entire universe is under the direction of the Son, Jesus, according to the wisdom and the timing of God. The word time mentioned in this verse is not the common use as we know of time. It's not the Greek word chronos. It's the word used kairos, which is speaking of a particular time. It's speaking of a decisive time where the fulfillment of the purposes of God would take place. So his was a plan for the fullness of a decisive time that he had foreordained before the foundations of the world. Not just for any random time that's coming up. Sometimes we've all, we've all seen the books where people are predicting, you know, the coming of the Lord. I think it was, there was the book, the famous book that came out, Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. And then it came out two years later. Again. And then it came out an hour, you know, later on again. Because it didn't happen. And God, has a, his God knows the time. He's the only one that knows the time. And he'll come back and his preordained chosen time that's a decisive time that he knows uh, F.F. Bruce uh, a theologian F. Bruce wrote this he says 
He provides an excellent overview with this verse in mind. And he stated, when all the times and seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority have run their course, God's age-long purpose which he planned in Christ will attain its full fruition. So there's three things here. Christ is in charge and he is restoring the correct order of things. Right, so that's number one. Christ is restoring the correct order of things, the way they should be. Number two, Christ is bringing unity to the order of things. So number one, he's restoring all things and now he's bringing unity, he's unifying all things. And number three, Christ is the head above all things. He's the head of all things. Cannot move away from the words and I'll read this passage to you if you can turn with me to Colossians 1. I know my wife loves this chapter, Colossians 1. And uh, but I want to, I love this, it's similar, I guess, in a way to the doxology we're reading here. But he writes this to the Colossians in chapter 1, verses 14 to 22. And it says this. In whom we have redemption. He's talking about Christ. In whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him and he's what before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body the church he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That was his plan. And as an account of sin, the earth plunged into disintegration. But now in Christ, it will be restored to its correct order with him as the centre of it all. Christ is the one to whom God chose to sum up all of creation. Not only just for those who are the believers in Christ, but now the entire order of all creation, God's grace is calling upon us to be adopted as saints. He's just caught up in his purpose for us, his people, and also his purpose for the universe. 
that both his people and the universe come together and are reunited in Christ Jesus. So when will Christ head up these things? We've got two time periods that this will take place. That Christ will do this work. Number one is now. The here and now, the present age that we live in. The age of man. This would be described as the work of Christ upon the cross. That we've mentioned. It says in Ephesians 1.7, we read earlier in him, we have a redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And if we go on to Ephesians 2.16, it says, and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And his triumphant victory in conquering death. For he worked it in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him where? At the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and all authority and all power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. So we have a promise that he's doing it now and in the one to come, the age to come. And he raised up, in Ephesians 2, 6, 7 says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. All things have been given to Christ and are now subject to him and through him. And he has been given his head over the church. All spiritual powers broken by his death and his resurrection. The believers in Christ now victorious and the blessings of God placed upon us now to live in the power of God. Not just any power. The power of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in each of you. Yeah. Raising power, life-changing, kill-death kind of power blows your mind when you ponder these things of God. And we can now walk victorious in this life, able to withstand, as we see in Ephesians 6, 10 to 20, we're able to withstand the devil and spiritual wickedness. We're able to do that because of what Christ has done for us. The second time period, so we've got the here and now that Christ is with us now. The second time period is that period that's called the end of the age. The age where all things will unite under Christ. This would be the period commonly referred to as eschatological. It's a big word for you, isn't it? It's just, it's just the word of eschatology. E-S-C-H-A-T-O-L-O-G-I-C-A-L. Es- eschatological. It's a big word. But it's eschatology. And eschatology is just meaning the study of last things. That's what it is. The study of last things. So it would basically cover... The book of Revelation, which is from, well, I'm, I, I, I'm not even going to get into that. I would, I would say it's probably the last few chapters that still to take place, but let's not go into the book of Revelation. So it's covering part of the book of Revelation onwards, and it's the future things that have to come, the, the last things that Jesus mentions. So this would uh, be the period to where we would look ahead to the rule of Christ at the end of time. It does not refer to this present age of darkness, as they call it. That reminds me of a book by Frank Peretti. 
this present darkness, remember that? It says, where the devil and his demons are still actively opposing God right now. But in the fullness of time, he unites all things to himself. Ephesians 2 says, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And we love that passage in Ephesians 6. It says, put on the whole armour of God. That you may be able to what? Stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Oh, how we need to remind ourselves of that. Yeah. How often we fight with one another when we're not wrestling flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to fight spiritual things. But against the rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, therefore, take it up, take up. Take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand firm. So let me clarify, the, devil, the defeat of the devil's power was accomplished at the cross. Right, we agree. But a greater event is still to come and take place for every believer in Christ Jesus. You see, the earthly promise that the Messiah would come was promised in the Old Testament fulfilled in the New Testament and the Gospels, partially fulfilled in his ascension to be with the Father, seated in the places, and now is the hope of the people of God. It's our future hope. And also, as we'll see, the hope of all of creation. Romans 8, 19 to 23, if you turn there with me. We're going to do a bit of scripture finding lots of scriptures in this first lesson here. I love bouncing about the Bible. So much meat in it. So we go to Romans chapter 8. In my opinion, the greatest chapter in the Bible. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 19 to 23. We were at a funeral on Friday for a dear beloved sister, 97 years on, God be with the Lord. And... um, it was just funny, the chaplain there had got up to speak and he was talking about how he spent, she spent her last days and they just spent the last days in Romans 8. And I was just like, ah, oh, greatest chapter in the Bible, you know. It says this, Romans chapter 8, verses 19 to 23, for the creation waits. Now think about this, about the age to come, right? The summi- summation and the fullness of things to be united under Christ. This might open this verse, this passage up to you. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait what eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Creation is groaning. The believers are groaning for what? For that bringing together, that final calling home, that adoption when we meet him. And he brings all things under the rule of Christ. 
Creation is awaiting its release from the curse. <coughs> this will not occur before the second coming of Christ, the final return of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 24-28. If you flick over there, it's only a book or two along, 1 Corinthians 20, 15, 24-28. And it says... Here in this passage, so in verse 24 we read, Then comes the end, when the, he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. What a thought. He's uniting all these things so that he can deliver it to the Father complete. So it says, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected to put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. That God, what, may be all in all, completely over all things again. Christ will destroy all existing powers and put them under his feet as rule and authority and then will hand them over to the Father. We have another picture of how this will work. The work of Christ has already been working from the book of Revelation where we see he has already bound Satan from no longer being able to what deceive the nations. His death and resurrection ushering in the millennial reign of Christ which we now find ourselves. And as we read above, all of creation hasn't just been groaning, it's been groaning, it's been longing to be restored. Just like we might say here, when our eyes were open and we received the grace of God for our salvation, we have been longing for our Saviour. We await his return or his calling his home. We move on to verse 11. It says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. Ephesians 1, verse 11. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In Christ we have obtained, or we could say, taken complete possession of an inheritance. That inheritance is that of an heir or of the firstborn. God works his purposes that is his eternal plan for our salvation according to one thing, his own will. It is for that which pleases himself. It's not based on the will of man. God is the one who determines what will be done and the determining by God is a blessing for us. When he says we have obtained, he's speaking of himself and of the Jews or perhaps more correctly, of all those who were the first fruits of Christianity. And afterwards he comes to the Ephesians. It tended not a little to confirm the faith of the Ephesian converts. That he associated them with himself and other believers. Who might be said to be the firstborn of the church. As if he had said the condition of every godly person is the same with you. For we who were first called by God. Owe our acceptance to his eternal calling. Thus he showed us 
that from the first to the last, all have obtained salvation by free grace because they've been freely adopted. He speaks of Christ being the sole agent and as doing everything according to his own will so as to leave nothing to be done by man. So God is the sole agent, the sole agent of his will. Nothing to do with man. And no respect therefore are men admitted to share in the praise and glory of God. You know, the Psalms that talks about, I think it's Psalms that say they wouldn't share his glory. You know, we sometimes want the glory, we want a bit of kudos for things when it comes to God. No, we don't. <laughs> That's pride. You know, when, when the glory of God comes upon a person, as we see in verse, the next verse, it says, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And the Lord would not share his glory. He won't share it with graven images. He won't share it with false idols. He won't share it with man. Could you imagine? I mean, look at Moses when he goes up the mountain. He couldn't even get close to the image of God without being blinded and covered in glory himself. I mean, that was only the tail of his back end of his garment. We couldn't physically comprehend the glory of God. It would kill us. So when we say, oh, you know, and try and take a bit of the praise and a bit of the glory, what suddenly happens to man is pride eats at us and becomes us. And we wear pride. Verse 13 says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, I love this, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Those chosen in Christ Jesus, those who are the saints of God that he spoke about earlier, those believers in Christ, the faithful, from the very moment they believed in him through the preaching of the gospel and the hearing and the Lord opened, this Holy Spirit opened their ears to hear and their hearts to understand. From that very moment, they were instantly sealed forever by the Holy Spirit. This is a reminder to us all that there, there are keys to those whom God sent his son to die for their sins. His keys are this, number one, that they would have ears to hear. Revelation talks about he who has ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. He who has, how he has an ear to hear. You are one of them. You're the ones that he's talking when you read that about those who have ears to hear. He's talking about you and I. He's saying those saints of God who have ears to hear. That's what God sent his son to die for, that you would have used to hear his spirit. Number two, that they will hear what the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 10, 14 says this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not yet believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? I need that verse and I want to say it really Scottishy. How are you going to call on him if you didn't believe? And how are you going to believe if you've never heard? And how are you going to hear without someone preaching? Number three, they will have the ability to believe activated as the Spirit brings our hearts alive to Christ. That's a promise, what Christ did for you on the cross. Ears to hear. Ears to hear the gospel. 
ability to. Have your, your heart will be opened so you'll receive the things of Christ and the Spirit of Christ. And number four, you'll bear the mark of adoption and thereby receiving the seal of the Holy Spirit of God. This Greek word for seal is frag, it's frag idzo. I'll give you this in the notes. But it's, it means to set a seal upon, right? Or seal up something. In the Bible, a couple of the relevant uses for the word seal would be this. This is how you find the word seal when it's found in the Bible. The four meanings of the word seal in the Bible would be to seal for security. So you could say we are secure from the clutches of hell. It is, second meaning, to set a mark upon. Number three would be to prove, confirm or authenticate something. And number four was to prove a testimony. As a point of reference, this type of seal is seen as a mark, which in ancient times would be likened to that of a royal seal. Uh, This is where wax was placed on a decree and an indentation of the signet ring of the king was pressed upon it. If you, if I don't know if any of you seen the older version where uh, Kevin Costner's in the film, uh, you know, and he's the bow and arrow for Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and there's a bit of time where they get this seal and they, and you see the letter and it's got the wax put upon it and it's the seal mark is stamped upon it of the king. It's the mark of that king, and that's how you would think about that sealing. It's it, it was known as a royal guarantee. It was known as the word Gothrogos, and which meant that whatever the guarantee was. Well, it was promised it would definitely take place. So this particular issue surrounding the seal upon our salvation, the guarantee of our adoption, has caused some to question whether we could, oh, could we lose it, our salvation? Can I just say, if it was up to us, absolutely 100% we could lose it. <laughs> it's going so bad. Man, I lose stuff all the time. We're human, of course we would lose it if it was up to us. This is why God has so powerfully blessed us with the seal of royalty. The seal of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We are marked as a spiritual blessing in Christ. This mark is a spiritual blessing. Remember, this passage is about. But emphasis is not upon man and women, man and women, but upon the spirit of the living God. So in Paul's day, there were cultists who would tattoo themselves or make marks as a seal that they were part of a particular cult. The Jews used circumcision, you could say, as a mark of a seal. The, uh, you know, and so we, we kind of look at that. We have received, as you read Romans 4, alone, uh, 4 11, he says he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still circumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. So we finish up this, this lesson here. We must clarify that this particular work of the Holy Spirit is not linked in any way to Acts 2, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is upon salvation solely. And so it's, uh, the reference is referring to the presence of God, the Spirit of God and filling the believer upon salvation, working in and through them. It's also the same verse we get from the Ephesians 4, 30. It says, and do not grieve the spirit of God by whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. Uh, and Corinthians as well says that. And it is, uh, Corinthians 1, 21 to 22 says this. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. I love that. So we could say, now... We have the seal of the Spirit of God dwelling in us. 
which is, you could say, the first mark of your salvation and the promise of even more to come when we meet the Lord, when we will experience the completeness of that work. Could, I, I wrote it out like this, our salvation sealed by the Holy Spirit whose presence carries the promise of good things to come. And a wee quick bit in verse 14, for he is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So that particular seal and security of the Holy Spirit upon our salvation is the pledge, the guarantee that we will receive and acquire and enter into a full inheritance of adoption. That adoption in its completeness is when we die and meet our Lord. We cannot live, we can live not with a vain hope of salvation, but with an absolute security of the promise. Finally, as we close out this beautiful doxology, this beautiful song, we must remind ourselves that all of this that we have looked at are spiritual blessings. We have now and we will have in completion in heaven. We've been given the guaranteed engagement ring before the final day where the bride of Christ will meet the groom. Amen.